News, politics, and special guests with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke Messias Show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty today. So welcome to, Matt, I think you need to understand just how special of a person you are. Welcome to episode 100 of the Luke Messier Show. Yeah. So I am joined today by my friend, Matt Beebe, who... Ran uh, is a has been a candidate, Republican activist and candidate uh, for the Texas legislature. Ran against Joe Strauss. Are I think he's still a Republican who doesn't vote for most Republicans nominally, right? Yeah, right, right. uh, former Speaker of the House in the Texas legislature and fellow San Antonian. Now that I've moved into the city, welcome. Uh, and you also have since over the last several years uh, become a writer. You write for The Federalist and several other publications uh, on various different issues. And I have brought you in to talk about what's happened this week, uh, about what is going to be happening in the Texas legislature, previewing a little bit of that um, that has yet to come. And so, yeah, we're going to sit down and hash out a couple of the world's problems. So thank you for joining me. Hey, I appreciate it, Luke. It's good to be here always. I think the last time we sat down, it was you were audio only and we were in a different environment and everything. I mean, between you and Joe Rogan, clearly podcasting is, is. taking a step up over the last year or two. It is. It is. It's a massive, uh, it's a massive upward trajectory. Yeah. I mean, it's the, gl- the glow up between you and Joe is like pretty good stuff. What's even weirder is that our listeners haven't changed at all. You know, and throughout the uh, throughout the upgrades, right? We still got. Yeah. It's just mainly my mom. This is well. what I tell people. If you want to know, my mom will definitely hear you, and then maybe a couple other Texans. Well, my mom will listen to this one, so we're doubling your listenership Twice as a base. Yep. Okay. I just can't figure out how to keep the moms coming back. You know, it's just the mom of whoever is listening. So. Uh, this week, we're, we're not going to dwell on everything that happened in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I just think that what is one other person's take on this going to do for society, right? Agreed. So we're not going to yeah. spend too much time. I do think it's important to kind of take us back. I mean, um, rioting at the Capitol is something that we here in Texas have a little bit more familiarity with, right? Sure. Yeah. I remember 2013 legislative session, the yep. HB or SB5, right? The yep. abortion bill. Yep. Um, they shut down the Senate. Yep. Um, and, you know, really, really actually, um, we can get into the specifics of what happened this week in Washington, mm-hmm. but recall back in 2013, they killed a bill. They, they affected the legislative yep. outcomes of that legislative session yep. um, by forcing, you know, race, basically forcing the counter on past men. I think a lot of Texas, I mean, the truth is that even a decent amount of our listeners were not that politically engaged in 2013. You know, they were engaged, many of them, 2016, 2018, just in the last several years. And so, but they know Wendy Davis. They know that she ran against Chip Roy. They know that she had this kind of, you know, moment. But to recap, I mean, June of 2013, legislation was moving through the uh, Texas legislature that was going to ban abortions after 20 weeks, yep. right? And so Wendy Davis stood up to filibuster it, which is a let's say a norm. It is a it's a, you know decorum. It is it's um, tradition. It it is a right afforded to these different senators to take action on. Um, but what was not planned is what transpired, which is that. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people came as kind of a battle cry, actually kind of not unlike some of the things, and it's not identical, but basically, come take a stand with me, I'm going to take a stand for you, you stand with me, right? Right. Thousands of Texans show up, 
And then the process starts to look like actually this pro-life legislation is going to pass. And and at this point in time, thousands of Texans and some out-of-state people who were there to protest lost their ever-loving minds, started screaming, started throwing things, started fighting with the police, shouted to the extent that senators could not even communicate with each other, right? Yep. So then the business of the Senate could not even be conducted before the clock struck midnight. And I was in the Capitol at this point. We were on lockdown. We were in, you know, it was interesting because when, when I came into the Capitol that day, there was orange and blue. So if you were wearing orange, it meant right. you were okay yeah. yep. with ending the lives of innocent children. And if you were blue, it meant you were trying to, right. you know, ban abortion after 20 weeks. And I mean, there were literally, there was this circle of like Wiccans, dressed in orange, chanting, doing these big chants. And then this group of like pro-life people got together and started praying. And then the Wiccans came over and there was like this prayer war that went on at one point that I witnessed. And that was a, you know, not something you witness every day. Um, But then you realize like, this is really happening. There's a lot of tensions. People really do believe what they believe when they're here. And so people started losing their minds when this happened. And then it just broke loose and everybody was locked down in their offices, everything, every door and everything was locked. Unlike what happened in DC where people were like actually getting into these offices. People did not get into the offices probably because if like all the Republican lawmakers were either there like in the actual session or they were in their offices. And I don't know if you want to break into a Texas Republican legislator's office and you know, I don't know what's on the other side of that door. There's definitely a different uh, experience that folks would have. Now I do want to correct one aspect of what you just said there, Luke, because it's important to remember you said that it wasn't planned. Well, I I suspect it's fair statement to say it wasn't expected to turn out the way that it did. But when you've got protesters that show up in the gallery with the equipment to lock themselves and chain themselves, there were definitely some people, there was some premeditated. And I guess that goes to, uh, to, you know, somewhat of a, of a hearkening back to this week in Washington, DC, where, you know, if thousands of people show up, there are definitely going to be some people that show up there with a plan, uh, of doing something more than what maybe even everybody else is planning on doing, right? Well, one I want to I want to hit on one thing in regards to that day back in 2013, and you mentioned Wendy Davis. So recall that maybe a lot of the listeners and viewers might not remember her mm-hmm. from um, or might not have known her there, yep. but in 2013 they probably didn't know her either. She started that day with 1,200 Twitter followers, right? Mm-hmm. And then through the efforts of that, she became amplified, became a darling of the left. Um, even the president had um, you know, tacitly approved what was going mm-hmm. on there in the, in the Senate yep. with his tweet, there's something special going on in Austin today. And so the way that the left has been able to capture some of this civic unrest mm-hmm. in ways in which amplifies their cause and, and, and really, frankly, wipes away the stain of, of that bond of civic mm-hmm. trust, right? Because that's let's get into that in a minute where we talk about why some of this stuff is bad. Like there's civil mm-hmm. disobedience, there's a place for protests, all yep. of those sorts of things are, yep. have a part in our democracy. But there's a level in a line that has been crossed clearly mm-hmm. this week in Washington, D.C., just like it was back in 2013 yep. in Austin. Um, but we see, in, and we see in that contrast, there's a, a gl- willingness to sort of gloss over that when it's, it, it's sort of an approved cause um, of the left. And it's, it's you know, norm-shattering, end-of-the-world kind of, mm-hmm. of, of dark, dark, 
dark times mm-hmm. um, when when it happens in the right. And this isn't a whataboutism. It's not an equivalency sort of thing. But I think we need to have that context because um, there is some nuance to this conversation. The um, when we talk about you know civil unrest, I think I, I think one thing that I found myself thinking about when everyone was you know reacting the day this all went down. Um, I, I, I think one of the reasons why I didn't, I, I, I wasn't so worked up over what was going on and that, that could be interpreted by someone to like take away, like, Oh, you don't care about this happening. Sure. Negative, positive, anything like that. And I don't think it was a good thing that happened. Uh, if anybody's wondering, but I've literally been witnessing bad things happening, even to the point of civil unrest, violence, you know, things that we would consider laws being broken, norms being run over, and a country whose elite institutions have largely whitewashed 2020, meaning we had a year of civil unrest and it was treated like it was not a year of civil unrest. Yeah. We start 2021 and people go, I want a new year, right? All this new feeling, we're going to move on. We have an instance of civil unrest. That's what it was. It was definitely not. I mean, and it becomes focused on and treated like the most horrific. Uh, and when I say the most horrific, you know, trend walking away of the norms of our society. Like this is a point in time that we have moved in a certain direction. And, and in some ways, it's like an ignoring of the fact that we've literally been moving here for a significant period of right, time. Right. And that's where the question is, how are you weighing the occurrences of a week without the context of a year or even the context of six years, eight years? You know, I just go back to the reason I brought up 2013 to start is I was in a capital that was on sure. lockdown, right? And literally people sitting there going like, do not leave this office. We don't know if it is safe for you to leave this office. And the people I was with were all pro-life individuals who were there to pass the law that everybody roaming the halls and breaking things and getting ticked off were there to defeat. Right. 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 And so I, I don't, I, I don't even say that to point a finger and go, ah, ha, ha, you know, if this guy messes up, well, your guy messed up. Cause that doesn't help right, the right, situation, right, but obviously. it's just to say, that's why I'm not freaking out. Like how could this ever happen in our America? Right. I mean, I, I feel like if you, plop someone down who was in America 20 years ago or I don't know, 10 or 50 or whatever. And maybe he goes, Oh, this doesn't seem like the America that I was aware of. But I feel like anybody who's walked through this year would say, Oh yeah, you know, civil unrest, violence, that seems like par for the course within a lot of, you know, our society today, unfortunately. Well, I, and I think what you see, at least what I've seen in, in talking to a lot of people of different ideologies and different backgrounds, is that Trump, the Trump phenomenon over the last four years in yep. particular, has caused such a wedge, you know, um, rhetorically. And, and, you know, we're already at a point in our nation's sort of history where we're, we're, we're pretty polarized, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, President Trump became that lightning rod for a lot of that on the uh, on the mm-hmm. left, even on the right. You know, mm-hmm. he he sort of became that um, inflection point, and so there's a lot of amnesia 
mm-hmm. about what came before Trump. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, like everything that's happening bad right now is reflective of Trump. Yep. And there's there's always an inflection point, right? Mm-hmm. In, in, in anything in history, there's always some point where enough is enough. But I think what we're seeing now, at least in my, my view, is that while this might be that inflection point for the left... Mm-hmm. The inflection point for the right really was many months or longer back mm-hmm. where they've said enough is enough. And in fact, what we saw this week, I think, for a lot of those folks, um, certainly the vast majority, hundreds of thousands of people that were there peacefully protesting, literally not, and I'm not using the rhetorical flourish of peaceful protest yeah, mostly in that peaceful way, protests, but literally, that. literally the people that were there that <laughs> only peacefully yes. protested, you know, peacefully redressed their grievances to their government, right? The vast majority did that, right? And those people were largely animated by a desire to emphasize how important this was to them. They, they flew in and drove in mm-hmm. from across the country. Now, there's obviously a small group, mm-hmm. much, much smaller group, thankfully, that didn't get the message on law mm-hmm. and order, you know, and, and the rhetoric didn't help that, for sure, on, on, on a lot of a lot of things, but what I what I think we do our ourselves as a as a community as as a nation a disservice is when we fail to recognize how we got here, mm. right? And and that that's bit my my concern. I've gotten you know, you and I got some uh, a couple of common friends uh, yep. on Facebook, and you know we started into this dialogue this last couple of days um, about whataboutism, and everybody's like, I can't talk about the past without being accused of whataboutism. Well. It's important to inform today's discussion on some of those historical things. And and whataboutism is is unhelpful when it is used to do two things, in my opinion, just to simplify it, excuse sure. wrong behavior, right? So it's like the eye for an eye, right? So, hey, you should not destroy someone's property. Well, that other guy destroyed property last week and you didn't yep. have a problem with it. Okay, well, then it, it was interesting. So I posted a, a quote the the hypocrisy is the compliment that vice gives yep. to virtue yep. right and i found it funny because a couple people reached out to me about it that you know, you could clearly know that if somebody was on the left they were taking offense cuz you were calling them a hypocrite several of them said that and then of course several people on the right are like yeah i like this right cuz they're a bunch of hypocrites but careful that mirror but you cuts have to both wait a second because right? here's what i'm saying if i tell you that they are hypocrites it means that what just happened was wrong, okay? If what happened was right, they're not, meaning they were right, that means they're right to call this out because it's virtuous to call out violence. Right, right. Which means they were hypocrites, okay? But it also means well, they that were what was wrong right? is Those still guys wrong, were, right? right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but but I think there's, so what aboutism has a benefit when it's when you're talking about hey let's put this in context so that we can hopefully learn right yep. hey you know what if all of a sudden let's say for simplicity's sake half of the country that has thought that there was no problem with violence in the streets and it's not really half it's like 35% or so 35% of the country that has not had a problem with any of the violence that has happened in the streets in 2020 all of a sudden wake up one day and go okay now I see violence is a really bad thing to happen in the streets. It's really dangerous. It's really, it, it hurts decorum. It hurts traditions. It hurts this thing. And then they go, okay, well, now let's establish that as what we should do moving forward in 2021. Right. Right. Well, okay, when, let's all that come together. Great, right? That's what yeah, if we could agree on is that. all about. Yeah, yeah, okay, right. great. But instead, you know, you have these camps because, first of all, people who have been trying to 
scream about the problems with civil unrest have been, you know, told that they're crazy and they're racist and they're all these things. And now they're being told that they're crazy for not being mad about the thing that they were mad about all year. So really unhealthy, not super helpful. And you don't see a heck of a lot of, you know, I think proper viewing from what's happening, yeah. where it's coming from, any of that. I don't think we're going to fix that. I don't, I don't, I don't know that we're on a path to fix that anytime in the very near future. Well, we need to. I mean, we need to think about that yeah. and pray about that because there are definitely, um, there's a growing chasm in mm-hmm. our civic society that's, yeah. that's, that's going to be a cancer yeah. if it's not already, right? Yeah. Um, and so I worry about that. But, I, but, but you're right. There's nothing that's happened in the last, you know, 96 hours or so um, that would cause me to say, oh, we've learned the lesson collectively. Yeah. We're in agreement on how yeah. to move forward from here. Um, battle lines continue to be drawn. Um, political uh, points continue to be scored, or at least mm-hmm. attempted to score, mm-hmm. instead of um, helping the nation heal. And and even that language of nation healing is loaded language now. And you know, so so everything viewed through the lens of politics mm-hmm. is very caustic. I think to not only our civic society, it's caustic to us as individuals. You know, we need to transcend some of that stuff. But let's talk more politics. Yeah. Well, and the the inflect one of the inflections is that you and I both got much more involved in politics with the rise of the Tea Party that happened in 2010. And I remember that the media wanted to paint these people as like white supremacist, Nazi sympathizing, violent people. But the problem was none of the Tea Parties ended up erupting into any type of civic unrest, right? right, there, right nobody exactly. was like, now let's go storm the San Antonio City Hall, right? right, right. So because it never got there, it, it never really grew. Uh, the left in 2013 used violence and destruction of property and, you know, literally riots to shut down the government in Texas. And then the in 2020, we saw, you know, a very leftist Marxist political movement use that violence. And that did not exemplify every single person that had an issue with racial injustice or anything, but, but it got basically supercharged within this entity that had a very leftist worldview and mindset and believed that violence was part of the solution. And then a bunch of politicians who encouraged that. Well, let's, let's make a clear distinction because I think this is the same thing. We, we run the risk of committing the same thing that as sort of a, a tea party conservative, Mm -hmm. um, that I was always very offended by is being, you know, there's one or two people that are white supremacist, racist nuts, right? Some crazy guy. And and so we're all painted with that brush. So when you saw this past year, um, like the black lives matter movement, um, you saw a lot of ordinary, reasonable people say, there is a problem. Yep. We need to work on this problem. And they stood in solidarity with that movement. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I think that's a conversation that's long overdue. But what a lot of people are afraid to acknowledge is that the underpinnings of that movement, and particularly the founders of Black Lives mm-hmm. Matter organization, yep. right? Not the movement, not the banner yep. that people are standing up and saying, this is enough. We need to stop this. Um, but the founders and, and, and where that's being funded and how that's being funded are from devout Marxists that don't just want to redress their government 
for the grievances, yes. they want to tear it all down yes. because it was conceived in sin and there's nothing redeemable about our nation, right? That's what animates a lot of the activists driving those movements. Um, yes, it's a small percentage, mm-hmm. but it's a huge um, reality um, that underpinning that movement is there. Now, does that mean that everybody should be tarred with that same brush? No, it shouldn't be, mm-hmm. but we should be very wise about how we approach both that conversation. And I, and one of the conversations that we were having over the last couple of days is I made, I made the, you know, probably inartful or indelicate, um, comparison that that small remnant of folks that are driving that BLM movement, mm-hmm. these Marxists, these America hating Marxists, and, and I, is it 1% or 11.3%? It doesn't matter. There's a small nugget that is driving that. And I made that comparison that said, you know, what's interesting about this is the, the same small cohort, the same tiny percentage of the overall movement that lost their way mm-hmm. in the Capitol on Tuesday, um, they're not the same, right? They didn't go in, in um demonstrate in the Capitol and, and really break every norm. And, it, and, it, and I want to be clear that even though I'm trying to contextualize some mm-hmm. things here, it, there is nothing acceptable about what happened we saw in the Capitol. It broke my heart. It was lawless and it was, it was tragic in so many ways. What I do want to pull out and what I want to draw out from this conversation is an important distinction is we need to understand that those two movements are not the same even though they ended up in similar places and we're drawing some connections about what the behaviors over last mm-hmm. summer have, have wrought, mm-hmm. right? Those are not the same movements. These are people that are trying to restore America and call it back to its highest ideals. We should applaud that. Like, like they screwed up like big time in how they approach that. But at their heart, for the most part, from everything I've seen, even some of the crazier, you know, you know, head scratching <laughs> radical things that are put out there, at their heart, they're trying to call us back to a restoration of our constitutional norms. The stuff that happened this summer isn't trying to do that. Yeah, maybe they're trying to um, uh, call us back to some of those better ideals and, and the equality and justice and those sorts of things, which I'm not dismissing. Those mm-hmm. are important, and we should have that conversation. But remember, they're not equivalent. And so my, my point that I was going to within the the one inflection that does happen, which I think gets into what does this mean for 2021, is that this this was a group of people that are, um, you know, in my opinion, a, a you have people out there going, this is Antifa, this is this. And I'm like, okay, well, you can say whatever you want, but some of these people, I promise you, voted for Donald Trump. So I mean, at the end of the day, whether you were there or not, some of these people were doing this and they are right of center. And so from a right versus left perspective, the tactics that the left deployed throughout 2020, at the beginning of 2021, you saw some on the right. And I definitely don't, I think you know from everything that's been publicly said that the, uh, and I guess this is a difference right to left, when the left got out there and started rioting, I mean, the politicians said, take to the streets, yeah, right? right? And in this situation, even Ted Cruz, who objected, I mean, he literally, they all, I loved how they all said, will you now not object, which he didn't, which was brilliant for him because his whole point was, I'm not going to let you define, you know, why these people did what they did because I'm objecting and because this happens. I'm allowed to, as a senator, take a position and make an argument and make a case that is a, a absolutely normal procedure that I can object to and it doesn't matter if some crazy person's out there, similar to anybody on the left. So he didn't. Um, 
But he also condemned everyone and said violence is never an option. Right. You know, what would it look like if when the left was violent, all the Democrat politicians said violence is not the option. And then every time somebody on the right was violent, all the politicians said violence is not an option. And and so um, I think that's something to kind of take through. But the right, a right of center group did take this much of an action. Not all of them. Yeah. So now the question is going into 2021, we're going to have more battles. We're going to have disagreements on the federal level in each and every single state. We're about to have a bunch of disagreements and we can get into Texas in a second, but even in some of these states that went to Joe Biden, like a Pennsylvania where you have a Republican controlled legislature and a Democrat executive, I would forecast that there's going to be some rather healthy friction between these two groups and that there will be actual live debates that will happen. And is, are people going to start thinking that narrative equals normative and Mm. that now this is just what we can do? You know what I mean? Um, and let's, let's hope not. I mean, let's, let's be clear that that is not the right approach, um, in civic discourse and redressing your government for grief, you know, all those sorts of things need to play out within traditional norms. Mm -hmm. Um, this isn't 1776, you know, this isn't appropriate behavior. Um, and I hope you're right in the sense that as those conversations occur and as those legislative battles, um, get started, right? Because they're gonna for sure. Mm -hmm. But I hope you're right about the fact that they're going to be peaceful and they're going to be um, up and up and on the on the better level. Mm-hmm. We don't see anything out of our national legislature. We don't see anything out of the U.S. Congress um, anymore mm-hmm. that's close to you know reasonable debate on ideas. Mm-hmm. You know the the way that they have perverted um, the way that legislation should get. Mm-hmm. You know, at least here in Texas. You know, there's still a lot of the back room, all that sort of stuff when yep. you talk about that. But but in reality, there still is a pretty public process to a lot of the legislative initiatives that, mm-hmm. that get passed. And we do have those opportunities to go up to the Capitol and testify well, and, and those and sorts that, of things. Well, well, we'll get into that in just a second, because yeah. I, I think one of the big dangers that we'll see over the next week to two is whether or not the legislature tries to do away with a lot mm-hmm. of that, right? I mean, COVID uh, has definitely... Any way a politician can use COVID for their benefit has seemed to be used for the most part. And so I would not put it past any of these politicians to say, Hey, let's, you know, kind of make this, this process a little less transparent. Let's give people a little less access. Well, let's, let's hope that doesn't happen because the other thing that I, I believe is part of this groundswell of anger and frustration is because a lot on the, in in the, in the right leaning part of the country, the 75 million plus people who voted for the president to be reelected, a lot of what they feel is that Trump did give voice to some Mm -hmm. of the things that they're frustrated about. And so the fact that if you have something to say, if you feel so compelled that you need to say it, now you're being prevented from saying it, that doesn't end well. Um, when people feel like they have to go overboard, over the top, and and do that, and so I, I would hope none of the legislative um, initiatives moving forward, under the guise of of COVID or public safety or any other reason, does anything to restrict those opportunities for the public to comment and the public to participate in the legislative outcomes. Um, there, it's a representative system we mm-hmm. have, but that representative system, at least in Texas, has a great tradition of accepting and encouraging that public input. And, it's, ugh, uh, no, terrible, you saw, you know? well, so this week, uh, the lieutenant governor came out and, you know, said, 
it, this is actually different than what the Texas House is going to do, but they're going to require testing to get into the building, right? But the other interesting yeah. thing I, I Appointment saw... Appointment to see your senator too, right? Correct. Yeah. Now, uh, he said most, so I think the scorecard uh, actually broke um, some information. I know that Senator Lois Colcourse and Bob Hall have already come out and said that they're not requiring appointments You're to good. come into their office. There are a number, uh, Donna Campbell... Um, and a couple of their Democrats, I think, did say that they were going to require an appointment to get into their office. And so you, you look at that and realize, like, just these little things, what they change, right? Yeah. You have a bunch of people. Here's what we know. On the left and on the right, you have quite a few people who feel completely disenfranchised. That's right. Meaning they don't. And that's an interesting place to be where they're like, I don't feel like my voice is heard to the extent that I'm going to take to the streets. Meaning there is not a path for me to take this in a more, you know, civil way and probably the wrong message to send to some of these people is hey it's harder to get into a communicative situation with you know the staff that work for your duly elected legislators well, and let's, let's what, think about what kind of message will that send when people are trying to engage and barriers are put up and yeah, i know yeah let me let me back up i don't think that just requiring an appointment for your senator will lead to sure. if a riot happens in four months i'm not going to say this is what had happened with this appointment but i'm saying are our legislators recognizing like the level of uh how high the temperature is in the room well i don't i don't think so and, and whether it's reflected in limited hours or mm -hmm. by appointment only i can tell from the rhetoric that yep. there's a missed lesson here in all this you know i'm i'm kind of contrarian on voter turnout like i think a depressed voter turnout historically means the government's not screwing it up enough that people mm -hmm. are riled up enough to go out and vote that's not necessarily a bad thing you can make that argument well we're living through an age of increasing record turnouts mm -hmm. which means and and oh by the way polarization too mm -hmm. right so people yep. are hotter and they're madder and they're more active and yep. you're going to tell them sit down shut up like yep. th this won't end well no no no. that is going to be a bad and it's going to be bad on any of the important issues which which is yeah. why i think one of the things one of the dangers that we could see so let's kind of shift to texas here because right. we're you know we're not here forever i don't know how long we've been talking we've been talking too long yeah we might have to break in a hundred and first episode i know no we won't be doing that don't worry um so we uh in texas one of the things i think is also you know a concern um, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to be able to hear. Our people are going to hear this, but there's a uh, ice cream truck yeah, driving. Nice. They'll probably hear a little bit of it in the background. They won't hear too much. But if you do hear that, no, my daughter might come running up into my office at some point, begging to go out and get ice cream. We have this. Ice I want cream. some too. Yeah, we yeah. have this ice cream truck that drives over every afternoon, which I love living in a neighborhood that has an ice cream truck because I grew up with that. Um, so in Texas, one of the things I think is a concern is that you are going to have politicians largely prone to avoid cultural issues. This is kind of one of the things that we've seen. In mm -hmm. fact, the guy you ran against, uh, Joe yeah. Strauss, was known for this, right? He basically said, hey, I want to keep things on bread and butter issues. I want to avoid the cultural buttons. I don't want to talk about abortion. I don't want to talk about immigration. I don't want to talk about guns. I don't want to talk, I don't want to talk about any of the things people are talking about. I don't want to talk about whether critical race theory should be taught in K through 12 schools. I don't want to talk about right. whether or not sex change surgeries should be legal on, you know, children that can begin getting therapy at the age of three to tell them they're the opposite gender and then puberty blockers to never hit puberty and understand what their body would naturally feel and then have you know sex change surgery in their teens like i don't think that should be legal okay we're definitely not talking about that sure. because if the goal if one of the goals is hey i don't want 
any of this stuff going on and the temperature is high. So the way to avoid it is to not talk about any of this stuff. I think one of the things we've learned is it doesn't matter whether you talk about it or not. It's being talked about. Yeah. It's going yeah. to happen. So the best way is for our politicians to actually say, hey, I'm elected official. It's our job to handle this in a civil way, to have an actual discussion and debate and these things on it, as opposed to avoiding these things, because that's not going to help. Well, and let's, let's be clear about what is happening in this context of the social issues and everything, is a lot of this dialogue is being framed by the media mm -hmm. as Republicans trying to control your life, right? Mm -hmm. and, and really what we're having to recognize is that increasingly the dominant media and the, the dominant structures of control, whether they be through media or education um, or just sort of pop culture, mm -hmm. is pushing an ideology, driving it down into our, our schools mm -hmm. and into our culture. And so a lot of this is is reflective of, as a response to that. But mm -hmm. to your point, it's it's essential. I think it's mm -hmm. essential that you don't ignore the cancer. And I don't, I don't mean to necessarily mean every one of these issues is a cancer, but the reality is, is they're big issues, mm -hmm. right? For a lot of people on both sides. And yeah. that's a fair thing for us to work through that. And that's why we elect legislators to, to go and wrestle and solve the hard problems. Yep. And so while I understand, you know, it's much easier to do the bread and butter issues, right? Yep. You know, because actually they spend more every year and nobody wants to be fiscally restrained yep. anymore anyway. So it's all about going up there and divvying it up and giving it out. That's yep. kind of fun. I like being Santa Claus too. Yep. When On Christmas morning, it's great when you're giving out. Having to discipline your kids is a yep. very different thing. It's uncomfortable. Yep. You know? And so however that manifests over the uh, coming legislative session, I sure hope that our legislators aren't afraid to tackle the hard problems because mm -hmm. it's not going to make them go away for sure. What are a couple issues that you think Texas should address? Well, so six months? like going back to this pandemic conversation, mm -hmm. the election conversation, I think two of the big issues that we need to make sure that we're having an honest and open conversation about are uh, election security. Mm -hmm. Now, again, I'm not going to get into this big argument about the election was stolen, mm -hmm. but I think we can demonstrate that transparency mm -hmm. <laughs> is lacking, right? Yep. And therefore, trust is lacking. I've, I've been very vocal about the fact that believability is more important than the outcome. If, mm -hmm. if we look at the long-term health of the republic, believability yep. of elections is more important than any candidate winning. Um, I, you know, I dropped an article of the Federalist um, shortly after the election about executive overreach and judicial overreach. Mm -hmm. And so that was manifesting itself in election law. I do think the playing field was rigged after the teams took the field, mm. right? That's a that's a problem. Um, now, were the legislatures in those states impotent? Were they distracted? Were they ignorant? Were they asleep at the wheel? Yeah, I think all of those things. Um, but getting it back to Texas, we need to make sure that our legislature, which, by the way, if we had that problem in Texas, yep. remember, our, our legislature wouldn't have been in session yep. to be able to do anything. Yep. Um, and so whether it's election stuff or what we're seeing in a very real way over the last nine months mm -hmm. with executive overreach, I think mm -hmm. is a reasonable way to couch this mm -hmm. by our governor. Um, we don't have any ability. And so there are some bills that have already been filed talking about you know what, maybe we shouldn't just give the governor unlimited power to, to um, uh, even in the interest of public health. Now, there's there's a role for the government to play in these pandemic outbreaks. Off, awfully important conversation, what the meets and bounds of that are. But maybe we shouldn't give the governor just carte blanche authority. Unlimited, well, there's right? a role, but we've... we. 
we can definitely know that they've completely abused the role. I think it's they, they, it's whatever line like, there was. It's, it's well. It's past not it. that they're yeah. teetering over the line. Yeah. They haven't just like played over. They've literally blown out the line, and it is. It is whatever they Here want to Texas, do. Here in Texas, too. Yeah, right. it is. We're going to govern some of the your other entire states, life. But and not only are we going to govern your entire life, we're going to do it in an unscientific way. We're going to do it in a way that doesn't really make sense. We don't know, you know, there's no rhyme or reason to 50% or 75%. There's no rhyme or reason to whether this industry can be open or this industry can be open. And half the time, it's probably whoever's industry has enough Austin connections to lobby the single executive enough to get him to be okay with their industry. And I mean, the dangerous precedent that that sets up where every single industry is literally paying homage to one governor who can, with the stroke of a pen, wake up and say, you're not allowed to be in business. None of you are allowed to be in business. It's just crazy. So Matt Krause has filed legislation to say, basically, you can't put anybody out of work and still get a paycheck if you're a governing official. If a county judge is going to say, hey, all bars or salons have to close down. They can't get their salary. You right. know, you cannot literally be, we are not a nation that actually, we are public servants, right? Yeah. So that's not a servant's mentality, right? Hey, you can't go to work, but I'm going to go to work. You can't make money. It's illegal for somebody to enter your business and pay you, but I've taxed everybody. I need to get my salary. And yeah, so in fact, yeah. I might even issue myself a pay raise this year. So that's been done a lot that say, hey, Within a 60-day time period, you can call an emergency. And by the way, back up. This is not just an emergency about public health. Yeah, the emergencies yeah, yeah, are about yeah. anything, right? Yeah. I mean, the governor could call an emergency for gun violence and say, I have restricted gun right. stores in this way. Has nothing to do with public health. It, this right. is a this is an emergency declaration for this. I mean, the governor called an emergency declaration to keep plumbing licenses around for two years right right? so this guy can literally say anything i want is an emergency and therefore i have unlimited power to create laws and so hopefully the legislature is going to say no you don't let's rein that in and then with election integrity going back to the systems the transparencies whether or not they're allowed to break the law in the course of public health situations i mean we had counties doing things that are not in election code so they're just creating election right. law on their own. And we have a secretary of state who at times was maybe even telling them you can do that. Sure. So the secretary of state who's appointed by the governor isn't actually telling these counties, hey, 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 you have to follow the law. Yeah. So fully executed. Right? Both Republicans <laughs> and Democrats are basically saying the law is whatever we want it to be, which, by the way, makes sense when you have a governor who's saying the law is whatever I want it to be. I mean, well, right. wouldn't that be a logical Conclusion that any governing official should reach in a, in an environment. So you, you think election integrity and executive orders should be issues that are significantly considered this session? I, absolutely, and 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 I think if those aren't reached, we've got bigger problems because all we're doing is whistling past the graveyard on what we what it means to be self governed mm-hmm. in a in a constitutional representative democracy, right? And I, and I you know I'm not trying to be you know overly wordy about that, but the reality is is if we can't make sure that our system works mm-hmm. the way we've designed it and the way that the public has entrusted our elected officials to operate, then we got problems. I mean, the check and balance time, you know, it's it's time to cash that check mm-hmm. um, and get serious about um, what it means to be checks and balances, um, to mix metaphors there for a sec. Um, so with the Federalist, I know you have a couple pieces that you've had out recently. Why don't you tell us about 
some of those and what you talked about? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think the, the one big thing in, in all of this is such a fast moving train with regards to the election is there's this entire um, sort of spectrum of belief on the election, right? Is that it was fair and efficient and the outcome was just in 50 different states, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe, you know, and then on the other end of the election, it was, you know, QAnon um, telling us that it was election um, hackers that were in Spain that were doing this, you know, pretty sure that's not the case either. Yeah. Right. You know, somewhere in the middle. Now, what was there fraud? You know, you hear politicians, there's fraud in every election. We should minimize it. Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. But were there things that happened? And this is what I I saw in some of the... um, states like Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Georgia, where you had ministerial officials in a case of like Pennsylvania, their secretary of state like here isn't mm-hmm. an elected official. I'd love, by the way, we talk about legislative initiatives. I'd love to see our secretary of state in Texas be elected, elected official. Oh, I'd love that. Um, it'd be amazing. Um, because a lot of these uh, election security measures would then be more accountable to mm-hmm. the people. But so in Pennsylvania, you've got um, uh, state officials elected on the executive branch that, you know, frankly, you know, everybody uses the word collusion and it's got all this, this terrible mindset, but colluded with um, Democrat leftist funded legal aid societies mm-hmm. and groups that litigated, they call it lawfare or friendly litigation mm-hmm. to say, well, we need to change this. And then the state official says, oh, okay, I guess you're right. And then they have this out of court settlement. Um, you heard the um, president very vehemently criticize um, uh, Raffens- Raffensberger and, and Brian Kemp there in Georgia about the consent decree, you know, mm-hmm. and in regards to how they administer their election. There were similar sorts of things that happened in all of these battleground states. And you can't look at those and say, yeah, that's open and transparent. So, so some of our articles went into that. And then it talked about a little bit about where we do with, with regard to presidential electors. Mm-hmm. Our constitution does have a pretty clear, um, what they call plenary authority is granted to the state legislatures. And so it's not just a matter of, well, they maybe usurped it here, or maybe they went too far there. It's a matter of by our United States constitution, is this permissible in a presidential election? And I actually was uh, a believer that those were pretty compelling arguments that some of those states had, um, hopelessly, uh, uh, messed up the outcomes in their election. Now, what I had wanted to do, and I, I have, have been very vocal about this, is not that the state legislatures should have convened to p- appoint an alternate slate, but I think the state legislatures, who are closest to the people, closest to mm-hmm. the voters in those states, should have convened to reaffirm, or if they if they truly believed that it wasn't um, fraud, mm-hmm. or if, th- if they truly believe that it wasn't a valid outcome, yep. then you know over will of the turn of the people because that's that's a whole dialogue. Well, we're 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 going to uh, overturn the will of the people. Well, n- not necessarily. If you think it was fraudulent, mm-hmm. then you're restoring the will of the people. Yeah. Now you it, can make but, that argument. But your point was that the the appropriate some of that Chip Roy articulated too. Yeah. If now, you wanted to overturn. Pennsylvania, then the Pennsylvania legislature should have done that, not objecting to the seating of the electors, which there, I don't want to get into that whole. Yeah, right, right. Exactly. Like it's a, yeah. But you have a number of pieces that you had been publishing throughout this time to talk about both the fraud that are the, uh, you know, norms that have been broken in some of these states, yeah, the absolutely. concerns that that would br- bring, which also kind of makes that case that you're making now to say 
there are some things we need to do in Texas today regarding our election process because you see that in a time of crisis, all sorts of traditions and norms and laws and procedures that would be followed that would grant all people more trust within the electoral process if they're if they're thrown away. Yeah. Then now you have a situation where whoever loses is just gonna feel like they were robbed. Yeah. And and that's that's I think the critical problem in the in the the transparency about election. Now, as you well know, and we've we've talked about this before, elections can be very detailed. Like mm-hmm. all of these, you know, we're suffering through an, an amazing amount of data that's available. Mm-hmm. So we see election returns come in by the minute, and it turns out, well, that feed was actually just a summary feed. Oh, wait. So so we see all of these things that are kind of out of whack. And, and you saw a lot of that with these midnight data dumps. Well, when a large county that's 90% Democrat tallies up all of their absentee ballots and they release them all at one time, you're going to mm-hmm. see a huge spike. Mm-hmm. Now, not necessarily every spike in all of that data is reflective of that. Maybe mm-hmm. there are some boogeymen in the shadows, right? But what has happened without clear, well-documented and consistently followed laws that have oversight and transparency, and that's why some of the throwing out throwing out the observers to me was such an offense Mm. um, to democracy and transparency because you need people to be able to say, yeah, this was on the up and up. This is on the up and up. And if you can't say that, then all of these conspiracy theories develop or frankly, that's when the malfeasance happens, yeah. right? Um, and you've got every right to say, what happened behind that closed door? That's mm-hmm. why we don't close the door, mm-hmm. or at least we're not supposed to. So we don't have that level of problem in Texas. I yeah. think our problems are a little bit different um, with election security, but there are definitely areas where we can improve uh, transparency, especially as we move more towards an automated um, you know, electronic balloting and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, I, you know, Frankly, I'm... I'm 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 definitely on the side of limiting the reasons for um, absentee ballots. Mm. I yep. think we should have less and less of that, yes. not more and more of that. Yeah, because it's um, growing in its use, and we yeah. should actually work to decrease its yeah. use as now, much as possible. Now, the problem with, with that is I think that, that, you know, the cow's out of the barn. Um, mm-hmm. And so we're going to have a hard time reeling that back in. Mm-hmm. And so at a minimum... We need to make sure things like ballot harvesting, um, unattended drop boxes, those sorts of things um, are not allowed in Texas, continue to not be allowed in Texas. Then we put measures in place to ensure that they're not happening. Yep. Well, I mean, that's something that Republicans have really struggled with in Texas. We um, we often let the other side define the narrative very easily, right? Yep. So when we tried to pass photo ID, it was you're disenfranchising all these different people. And you know, each and every one of our efforts to make an election uh, just to bring about election integrity and make election more secure are often criticized by the other side as you don't want anybody to vote, right? And that actually got into what most of the left has said and all the media have said, Texas isn't really a red state, it's just a non-voting state. Right. If everyone showed up to vote, then it wouldn't be red and then everyone showed up to vote like more than ever and we were just as red. Still so red. Yeah. you go, okay, we are red and we can put in place measures that protect the integrity of the elections and everyone can still vote. And if I tell somebody that you don't have the ability to vote by mail, I have not taken away your right to vote. Right. I haven't That's disenfranchised right. you from voting. You have the ability, you have weeks of early voting, you have election day, you can show up, you can vote, you have access and ability. And we know you do because in this last election, 
tons of people who had never, ever, ever voted, showed up and voted. And you know what you realized? I mean, I, I had a client who shook a hand of a guy who's in his 60s, right? And he says, I've never voted in a yeah. single election. Yeah. I'm coming out to vote for Donald Trump. Okay, well, here's the thing. All these statisticians would look at this guy and go, oh, he's just disenfranchised. Well, he isn't disenfranchised because the laws don't allow him to vote because he's not allowed an absentee ballot. Right. He didn't want to participate in the elections of the past. Yeah. He wants to participate now. He has a desire. That's so. right. And that goes back to my earlier point about low voter turnout isn't necessarily the worst thing. It sort of means that the general population is, is eh, pretty happy. Yeah. It means I'm, they're I'm like, like, hey, the things are going pretty well. Right track, wrong track. I don't right. feel the need to get out and vote in my city elections because I think the city's okay. I don't feel the need to get out and vote in this election for midterms because yeah. I'm pretty happy with the direction of my state. I don't think things are going to change. So, yeah. well, Matt, thank you for coming in. Thank Appreciate you for addressing it. some of these things. Things. I don't think we fixed many of the world's problems, if not, or if any of yeah, the Where's that problems. ice cream truck? Let's at least I have know. some ice cream. I know. I have some ice cream downstairs if you'd like to come All right. Some. That'll work. Thanks Thank for having me, Luke. I appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. Thank you for listening to The Luke Messiah Show. This program is brought to you by Scorecard Media. Check out texasscorecard.com to read up on all things Texas. Scorecard Media has other podcasts as well. Yeah, they're not as good as this one, but you should still check them out. Honestly, though, visit texasscorecard.com to see all the content they're producing on a daily basis. If you'd like our podcast to grow, please consider subscribing to the show on whatever platform you listen on and leave a review. That helps others find the content we're producing. Thank you. God bless you and God bless Texas. Texas.